to read some scripture this morning. It's the Joshua chapter 1, and this is verses 6 through 9. Words are on the screen. You can follow along as I read from this great Old Testament book of Joshua. Be strong and courageous, God's words to Joshua, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my Moses servant, servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Let's uh, let's pray this morning. Father, we are so grateful uh, for the privilege we have to come and, and worship you freely this morning. And uh, Lord, so often we take that privilege for granted, but realize that there are uh, people around the world who do not have the uh, the privilege of the freedom of worship. And so we thank you that we can uh, worship you this morning. We can encourage one another. And Lord, I pray that you would just uh, open up our hearts to what you have for us today. Lord, thank you that we can pray for one another and encourage one another. And we think of uh, some within our own church body that um, have some physical needs. Lord, now we uh, thank you for each one that is here today. And thank you for the safety you gave them. Lord, uh, would you speak to our hearts? Would you help us to encourage one another? And would you bless us today? Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for about six weeks now, we've been uh, live streaming our services. And uh, so that's a nice option to have. And sometimes you wonder, is, is anybody watching the live stream? So I'll let you know, this week I talked to eight people that are watching this week. So at least eight people are tuned in this morning. And uh, who knows, maybe uh, maybe some more. But we're glad you're you're here. Well, we're going to look at the book of Joshua. And last week we gave an introductory message to the book of Joshua. And what I would like to do is to go over that very, very quickly, just by way of review. And then we're going to dive into Joshua chapter 1 and uh, look at our passage this morning. So just uh, just to bring everybody up to speed, last week we began to look at the book of Joshua and we uh, asked a number of questions uh, about the background of Joshua. Who wrote the book of Joshua? And uh, almost universal uh, commentary say it was Joshua. Now, I didn't write the last few verses of Joshua because it records his death. So somebody came along and added on to the end of the book, but, but Joshua wrote the book of Joshua. And we looked at, at who is this man Joshua. We came up with five words. Uh, Joshua was a slave. He, he was born into the slavery of Egypt toward that end of that 400-year time period when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. Joshua was not only a slave, but he was a soldier. And Joshua was a military leader. He was a, he was a general, and we see that, uh, that all through the book of Joshua. He was a servant. He was Moses' right-hand man. He, for 40 years, was uh, Moses' aide. And so Joshua was a, a slave, a soldier, a servant. Remember, he was a spy. 
when the Israelites were there in Kadesh Barnea and Moses sent some spies out into the land, remember there were 12 of them, and of course we only remember the names of two of them, and, and Joshua was one of them. Joshua and Caleb are the ones who believed God and gave that uh, the good report. And then lastly, Joshua was a successor. He was God's chosen man to follow the leadership of Moses. And so Joshua wrote the book. Uh, second question we asked, what's the book about? It's all about conquering. It's all about conquering Canaan, uh, known as the promised land. And so here as we begin the book of Joshua, Israel is, is right on the edge of the Jordan River and they're about to move into um, military mode and there's about 30 cities in Canaan that they're going to have to conquer. And so uh, the word the land is all through the book of Joshua 87 times because they are going to um, uh, conquer the land and fulfill the promise that God had given hundreds of years ago to Abraham in the Abraham covenant, the promise of the land. And so uh, the book is about conquering uh, the land. And then uh, the the book, thirdly, um, where does the book, or when was the book written? And the book was written about 1400 B.C. So what we're looking at this morning was written 3,400 years ago. But as we journey through the book of Joshua, I think you're going to see that uh, the truths that are in this book, even though it was written long, long ago, uh, are applicable to our lives today. Uh, Fourthly, we ask the question, where does the book fit in the canon of Scripture? And uh, so uh, we have this little uh, numerical formula to remember the books of the Old Testament. It's 512, 5512, five books of the Pentateuch, uh, 12 books of history, five books of poetry and wisdom, um, five books of major prophets, 12 books of minor prophets. And Joshua is book number one in the history section in the Old Testament, and it's all about the history of what? Israel. God's chosen people, and Joshua fits in slot number one there. Lastly, we asked why was the book written? To give an official record of the fulfillment of the Lord's promise to give Israel the land of Canaan. So that's kind of a review of where we were last week. It only took about four or five minutes, and some of you were thinking, you preached that for 50 minutes last week. Could have summarized it in five. But here we go, Uh, Joshua chapter one. Uh, Really, I think it's the key chapter in the whole book. And uh, we're going to look at this um, message entitled, Keys to Victorious Christian Living. Keys to Victorious Christian Living. Now, the Israelites were facing a huge challenge in their life, weren't they? They were, they were facing uh, Canaan, uh, a land that was, as I mentioned, had 30 cities in it, um, walled cities, uh, remember years, 40 years earlier, they didn't want to go in because there were giants in the land. The nation of Israel has been a nomadic people for four, 40 years in the desert, and now they got to switch to military mode. They're facing some huge challenges. And uh, uh, as we look at uh, the, the nation of Israel, uh, during that 40-year time period in the wilderness, remember a whole generation of Israelites died. There were probably two million Israelites that left Egypt. And, and if you remember God's judgment on the nation because they didn't go in 40 years earlier when God said, I'm going to give you the land, you just need to believe me. Remember that God's judgment on the nation was that everybody 20 years of age and up 
is going to die in the wilderness. And so for 40 years, as they wandered in the wilderness, a whole generation dies off. Dr. Leon Wood, in his book, A Survey of the Old Testament of, of uh, Israel, uh, speculates and did a little math, and he said approximately 85 deaths a day had to happen during those 40 years for a whole generation to die off. Imagine reading the Israelite daily news and finding 85 names a day of uh, family members, loved ones, friends that have died in the wilderness because why? They didn't believe God. And now Moses is dead. And now the stage has been set for Israel under the leadership of Joshua to cross the Jordan River and move into the Promised Land. And really, the death of Moses kind of sets the stage for that. If you read through the book of Deuteronomy, you discover that uh, Moses wanted to go into the Promised Land. And God uh, denied him that, that privilege. Let me, let me just read a couple of verses from Deuteronomy chapter 3 that, that sets that stage. Um, here's a God and Moses having a conversation. Let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that fine hill country and, and Lebanon. But because of you, the Lord was angry with me and would not listen to me. That is enough, the Lord said. Do not speak to me any more about this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah. Look west and north and south and east. Look at the land with your own eyes since you are not going to cross the Jordan. <laughs> Moses never got to set foot in the land of Canaan. He wanted to. And so God allowed him to go up to a mountain. And you can look at the promised land. But Moses, you're not going to go into the promised land. Well, now Moses is dead. And Israel is facing this challenge of uh, going into the, the promised land. Now, we mentioned that the title of this, uh, this uh, sermon is Keys to Victorious Christian Living. Because what I want to do is look at the, the uh, verses in Joshua chapter 1, 6 through 9, that were given to, to Israel as they faced, what, a military challenge, and recognize that the same truths that God gave to Israel 3,400 years ago might also apply to us as we face some challenges today. And so um, I, I doubt if any of us are going to, uh, anytime soon, going to be in a military combat but we realize that we are all facing challenges today. Now, for you and I as believers, here's the good news. Our ultimate victory has already been won. When, when Jesus died on the cross and he cried out, Tetelestai, it is finished, he sealed our salvation, our redemption. Uh, Romans chapter 8, what can separate us from the love of God? We are victorious in Christ. Our destiny is sealed. Thank God for that. But, the daily Christian life is a struggle. It is a battle. And the Bible says we have three enemies, the world. And by that, it means the world system that is anti-God. How many of you realize that our culture today is not promoting Christian godly values? So our enemy is the world, the flesh. We still have our sinful nature uh, Paul writes about it in Romans 7. He says, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. So we're fighting the world. We're fighting the flesh. And we're fighting the devil, um, who is uh, the great deceiver. And so all of us are facing challenges. 
maybe financial challenge, maybe family challenge, maybe health challenge, maybe uh, maybe some of us are are having a, a questioning our our faith and going through a, a struggle there. And so the same thing that 3,400 years ago, the same truths that God said to Joshua, I want us to think about this morning as we think about victorious Christian living. So let's look at these four commands that God gave to Joshua. Uh, Two of them are positive commands, and then two of them are negative commands. And uh, think about applying that to our lives for whatever you're facing uh, and your challenges uh, today. So let's look at the first one. And the first one is, uh, if you listen to our scripture reading carefully, it's repeated over and over again. It's the key phrase. It was given three times to Joshua in those uh, short verses. Be strong and courageous. It's repeated in verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Verse 9, have not I commanded you, be strong and courageous. So repeated three times. And uh, that's the first the message that God gives to Joshua. Joshua, I want you to be strong and courageous. You know, if we attempt to live our Christian life in the source of our own strength, we're going to very quickly be feeling defeated and discouraged. But God has given us some, some resources to have victory and live the victorious Christian life. And so uh, the message of Joshua is God's message to us today. He says, be strong and be courageous. John 16.33, Jesus gave us a heads up in the Upper Room Discourse. He says, in this world you will have trouble. That's a verse that comes to my mind over and over again. Jesus said, you will face trouble in this world. And all of us could probably say amen to that this morning. Uh, The good news is, the rest of the verse, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So ultimately, our victory has been won. In fact, the Bible calls us overcomers. Uh, The seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, uh, it it uses this phrase over and over again, uh, to him who overcomes. And I heard somebody once say, we all want to be overcomers, we just don't want to have anything to overcome. (laughs) And sometimes that's, that's true. Be strong and courageous. Is that how you would describe your spiritual life? As you look at your spiritual life, would you say, man, I'm, my, my spiritual life is strong and, and courageous. What does that mean practically to be strong and courageous? Well, Psalm 46.1, our first source of strength is God himself. And uh, that uh, Psalm 46, which, which was Martin Luther's uh, favorite uh, psalm, in Psalm 46.1, we read, God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. And so the first source of our strength in times of difficulty and trouble needs to be God. Isn't it interesting that um, even people that we might describe as not um, religious or not followers of Jesus or not church-going people, when trouble comes, when crisis comes, oftentimes where do they turn? They turn to God, don't they? Um, 9-11, 20 years ago. Our nation was in crisis, 
And people flocked to churches and were looking for something that would give them some source of, of stability and comfort and strength. What does it mean practically? It means that, number one, God is a source of our strength, but God's also given us some resources to help us to be strong and courageous. Dr. John MacArthur in his commentary writes, The strength of the Christian life is dependence on God. Being strong in the Lord and in His and the strength of His might, the cardinal reality of the book of Ephesians, and we're going to look at a couple verses from there in just a minute, is that as believers, we are in Christ and are one with Him. His life is our life. His power is our power. His truth is our truth. His strength is our strength. And so if you have your Bibles, turn, turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and this really is a, is a whole uh, message in itself in Ephesians chapter 6. But when, when the Bible says we need to be strong and courageous, uh, Ephesians 6 comes to mind because uh, Paul, sitting in a prison cell, uh, writes about what? Our resources, the armor of God. Let me just read a couple verses here. Finally, Ephesians 6.10, Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stake your stand against the devil's schemes. The old King James uses the word the wiles of the devil. We don't use that word anymore. The Greek word is methodia. You need to be armored up because your enemy, Satan, has a strategy. You need to be aware of that. You need to recognize that we're in a spiritual battle. And so Paul goes on to list what the the armor of God, and uh, uh, we won't take time to look at this, uh, but just list them: the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so we need to learn what it means to put on the armor of God, and that word "put on" has the idea of permanence. Don't go another day without being uh, armored up because we're in a spiritual battle. Be strong and courageous. So Paul writes in uh, uh, the book of Philippians from a prison cell, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know what it is to abound. I know what it is to have a lot. I know what it is to have a little. I know what it is to have a need. But I can do all things because Christ is my strength. He writes in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, after asking God three times to remove a thorn in the flesh, a, a physical problem that Paul had. Most of the commentators think it was his bad eyesight. Uh, and he asked God three times to take it away. But then he writes, my grace, the words of God to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Someone has said God will either erase your pain or he will grace your pain. And in Paul's case, God chose not to heal him of his physical infirmity, whatever it was. But he said, you know what? I'm going to give you the grace and strength to endure and to have victory through that. And so Paul says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Oh, we need to have, to have strong and courageous faith. And all through the Old Testament and all through the Bible, there's examples of, 
of followers of God that had courageous strength. I think of young David, and uh, uh, when he's uh, taking that lunch to his brothers who are on the on the battlefield there, and and uh, here they are for forty days and forty nights, two times a day. Uh, Goliath, the Philistine, has has issued a challenge, and. Uh, the whole Israeli army is fearful, and David comes along, a teenager, and says, what's going on here? And he grabs those five stones and that slingshot, and he goes out in the strength of the Lord, and he takes down Goliath. I think of uh, later on in the book of Joshua, where Joshua stands up, and uh, the people were wavering about whom to serve and who the real God was. And Joshua stands up and says, Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I think of those three Hebrew young men in, in Babylon. And uh, when King Nebuchadnezzar had that 90-foot golden statue and the music would go off and everybody was to bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar. And there were three young Hebrew men Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego says, hey, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. And uh, they paid the consequences for it. I think of the apostles in the book of Acts when the religious leaders said, we forbid you to preach in the name of Jesus. And the apostles stood up and said, "Uh, sorry about that, but we ought to obey God rather than man. And what we need to realize is with the direction of where our country is going If we're going to be followers of Jesus and faithfully follow him, guess what? We're going to have to be strong and courageous. We're going to have to learn to take a stand and to stand on God's truth. Well, be strong and courageous. That's uh, that's the first um, admonition uh, for Joshua and the nation as they face their their challenges. But uh, let's look at the second one, uh, the second key, and it's obedience. Obedience to God's word, verses 7 and 8. Let me read it again. Be strong and very courageous. Here it is. Be careful to obey all the law my servant gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And so what's God's second instruction to to General Joshua and the nation of Israel? You not only need to be strong and courageous, but Joshua, I want you to what? Be obedient to God's truth. Be obedient to God's word. And if you're obedient to God's word, you will be successful wherever you go. Now, there's all sorts of seminars today about how to be a success, how to be a success in business, how to be a success in finances and all that. Um, But God's talking to Joshua, not necessarily about material prosperity, although God is the source of every, uh, every blessing, but I think he's talking about success in God's eyes. And what is success in God's eyes? Success in God's eyes is, is simply being obedient to God's truth, God's word, and uh, where God has placed you in your sphere of influence. Third John 2, we read, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. And so how can we have prosperity of our soul? How can our our inner being be strengthened and encouraged. So part of it is uh, to be obedient 
to God's word. Obedience to God is the pathway of blessing and success in God's eyes. It was author Mark Twain that made this statement. He said, it's not those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It is the parts that I do understand. (laughs) The parts that I already know God has said, and I I struggle in that area. So James 4.17 tells us this morning that to him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, it is what? Sin. There's two categories, broad categories of sin in the Bible. There's sins of commission. That's when we know what uh, we should do and, um, and we just break God's law. But there's also sin by knowing a good thing that we should do and not doing it. And so obedience to God's word. And that was the key for Israel. As they crossed the Jordan River, as they began this military campaign, when they obeyed God, guess what happened? The walls of Jericho fell. When they didn't obey God in the very next battle, because they got a little um, self-sufficient in their own strength, they lost the battle. And so obedience to God's word is the key. All right, let's look at a couple more uh, clear instructions that uh, God gave to Joshua and uh, gives to us uh, as we face life's challenges today. And uh, here's, um, here's the third key to victorious Christian living. And it's found, again, right in the text, verse 9, Have not I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Someone has said that the phrase, fear not or don't be afraid, is found in the Bible 365 times. Now, I've not taken the time to count them and verify that, but it's, it's all through Scripture. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Fear not, don't be afraid. What was it that kept the nation of Israel 40 years earlier from claiming their inheritance and going into the promised land? It was fear. When those spies gave the report, the 10 spies said, uh, yeah, there is, it's a beautiful land. It's flowing with milk and honey, but guess what? There's some big people there. <laughs> There's some giants there. We look like little grasshoppers, and so, uh, hey, we're not going there. And so fear kept them from what God had for them. And guess what? All those people died in the wilderness. We need to choose faith over fear, don't we? Now, faith and fear can't be, um, can't be in our lives at the same time. Uh, Hebrews 11 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And sometimes in our Christian life, we look at faith as a, a one-time event when we Invite Jesus Christ into our, our heart. And uh, yes, we are saved uh, by grace through faith. That's how we become a, a believer. But our entire Christian journey, our entire uh, walk with God is to be what? A walk with faith, by faith. Uh, or the book of Romans, the just shall live by faith. What is faith? Faith is taking God at his word and acting on it. And so, um, one of my favorite uh, verses in the, in the book of Psalm, and it's uh, tucked away in Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. And um, when I first discovered this verse a long time ago, uh, kind of a very simple verse, and I thought, what a great verse to teach our kids and our grandkids. It's a great verse for, for kids. 
And let me, let me read these verses for you. The psalmist says, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, God. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And I've shared that verse with a lot of children over the years, and all of a sudden I realized, you know what, that's not just a good verse for kids. That's a verse for all of us. That when, when fear comes into our lives, and, and there's a distinction between concern and fear, isn't there? Uh, we, we, you know, we, we, we need to be concerned, and we need to take steps sometimes that we need to take, but God doesn't want us living in fear, 2 Timothy 1.7. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of what love, power, and a, psalm, a sound mind. And so we need to choose faith and not live in fear. And that's a, that's, that's a struggle, isn't it? It's a struggle for all of us. Uh, fear of the future. Um, fear sometimes for our kids and our grandkids and fear of health concerns. Uh, but God comes to us and says, do not be afraid. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five: fear of man will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe. And so uh, we're, we're to have this holy reverence of who God is. And God says to Joshua, do not be afraid. We need to choose faith over fear. Well, there's one other truth uh, this morning that God gave to, to Joshua, these four commands as they were about to go into the promised land. Be strong and courageous. Be obedient to God's word. Do not be afraid. Here's, here's number four. Do not be discouraged. Do not be discouraged. When Ephesians 6 uh, talks about the wiles of the devil, the methods of the devil, how the Satan's, what his strategy is, fear and discouragement are two of his prime uh, strategies. That, that, that he wants us to live in fear. Uh, he likes to lead us toward the pathway of discouragement, lack of courage. And here God comes to Joshua in verse 9. Again, he repeats this. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Why? For the Lord your God will go with you wherever you go. And part of the whole key to this is, is God's, God's presence. And um, as we'll see uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks, they had a visible reminder of that because when they crossed the Jordan River into the promised land, the priests were holding the Ark of the Covenant that symbolized the presence of God. And as the river parted, every Israelite had to walk past that Ark of the Covenant and they saw a tangible symbol that God is with us. God is with us. Discouragement. One of the greatest challenges in all of our lives, if we're, if we're honest, uh, sometimes we get discouraged is because we have our eyes on people and not God. We get discouraged because we get focused on our circumstances and aren't lifting our eyes onto God and who He is and His promises. Now, I don't think it's a sin to be discouraged. But God doesn't want us to stay there. We all get discouraged, and God knows that we're human, but God doesn't want us to live in fear and discouragement. And so as we begin to wrap this up, let me just give you um, four thoughts here of why we are prone to discouragement. 
So we are, we are prone to get discouraged, and here's the first of, of, of the four. We are prone to discouragement when we try to live the Christian life alone. We're prone to discouragement when we try to live the Christian life alone. The Christian life has never been designed to live in isolation. And when we isolate ourselves from worship, fellowship, and encouragement, we've set ourselves on the pathway of being discouraged. The Christian life's been designed to live in community. That's why in the New Testament there's uh, 12 one another phrases. Uh, Pray for one another. Uh, Encourage one another. Uh, Bear one another's burdens. Love one another. Bear with one another. And on and on it goes. And it's in the context of, what, other believers. And so the author of Hebrews says, don't don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some are doing, but rather encourage one another and, and stir one another on to what love and good deeds. And so when we try to live the Christian life alone, apart from fellowship, apart from encouragement of other believers, we will, we will end up on the road to discouragement. And you know, when you come together as a body of Christ and when you encourage one another, there's some dynamic that happens. I discovered this years ago uh, from the book of Proverbs. It says, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And so uh, when, when God uses us to um, maybe minister to somebody or encourage somebody, guess who gets most of the encouragement? You do. We become refreshed, and we become encouraged, and that's how God designed the, the Christian life. So we're prone to discouragement when we um, isolate ourselves and try to live the Christian life alone. Secondly, we're prone to discouragement when we're physically or emotionally tired. <laughs> We've all experienced this, haven't we? When, when, we, when we are worn out physically or worn out emotionally and we're tired, that very, very easily leads to discouragement. I learned that early on uh, in in our marriage. And uh, let's see, Diane and I were married in 1977. I'm trying to do the math here. I should know this. 40, it'll be 44 years. But uh, there were times early in our marriage, and we were kind of um, going over an issue, and it was it was nighttime, and and uh, had um, one of the two disagreements that we've had in the 44 years. Um, uh, and, and, and so, you know, we're trying to hammer this out. And, you know, finally, here was the solution. We said, you know what? We just need to go to bed. We had three young boys. We were tired. We were exhausted. And you go to bed, and the next day, you know, you have a whole new perspective on it. And you feel rested. And, and, and all of a sudden, what was a little mountain, you look back like... Well, that was just a little, that was just a little molehill. You know, why, where was, uh, we're prone to discouragement when we're physically and emotionally tired. God knew that. That's why he designed the Sabbath. From the book of Genesis, God set this pattern for us. Work, 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 work. Day number seven, better rest, better rest. And uh, I've seen it many times in um, sometimes people have been in jobs where they've got to work seven days a week and they've been on that uh, 
that work schedule seven days a week and I watch it after about six weeks, guess what? They get sick. <laughs> they just get worn down because God designed us to what be replenished and, and have a day of, of rest and replenishment. This is the book of Elijah in 1 Kings 19, isn't it? You know that story. Uh, Elijah was there and he had that great... Um, victory on Mount Carmel and and slayed all the prophets of Baal and and uh, just had a won a great victory and the next day he's running for his life and he's discouraged he says huh God why don't you just kill me uh you know I, I'm I'm done with this and God was gracious and he sent an angel to minister to him and what did Elijah do he slept and he got up and he ate and then he slept and then he ate and then uh, Elijah thought he was the only one left. He was having this pity party. Like, no, no, I, I got lots of people that haven't bowed to, to Baal. And uh, God gave him a new charge and a new challenge, and, and, and Elijah was uh, renewed. So we are prone to discouragement when we are physically and uh, emotionally tired. Um, just a little side note here, article. This is uh, um, from... Uh, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine and Sleep Research, and it basically says that more than a third of American adults are not getting enough sleep on a regular basis. It's a very common problem in our culture today. Uh, so they recommend um, ages 18 through 60. Uh, some of you are beyond that and need a little more sleep. I, I am too. Need at least seven hours of sleep for a good night's rest. Um, so uh, we need our sleep. So sometimes the best solution to be encouraged is to go to bed, take a nap, and uh, we need that, that sleep. All except for Brad back here, Brad Crude. He, he, he sleeps on about four or five hours a night. Five. He's up to five now. Okay. That's, you're the exception, Brad. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's look at the um, next one here. Uh, we're prone to discouragement when we try to live the Christian life alone. We're prone to discouragement when we're physically, emotionally tired. We are prone to discouragement when we face prolonged trials in our life. All of us are going to face trials. James chapter 1 talks about that. But when we go through trials and, uh, and it seems like there's no end in sight, and it seems like God isn't doing anything and God isn't working, we can be very, very prone to discouragement. It's the book of Habakkuk. The prophet Habakkuk was looking at God's people, and they, they were far, far from God. And he asked the question, God, how long are you going to put up with this? How long are you going to allow God's people to basically turn their back on you? How long, Lord? And that's all through the Psalms, as you, as you read the Psalms. And um, the Psalms are such a great uh, section of Scripture for uh, when we're going through challenges and difficulty and trials because uh, so many of the Psalms were written out of, out of pain. There's a whole section of Psalms called the Psalms of Lament. I learned this a few years ago when I was kind of, uh, I would tell people like, I'm not complaining, I'm lamenting. It's biblical. It's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. And there's a whole group of psalms that are the psalms of lament. Psalm 13, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? 
How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And the psalmist is just crying out to God like, when's this going to end? And we are prone to discouragement when we're facing prolonged trials in our life. So if you know somebody in the body of Christ and that's going through a, maybe a, a painful trial, whether it's a physical trial or maybe it's something with one of their kids or family members, um, man, just look for ways to encourage them, to pray for them. Because we are prone to discouragement when we go through these long periods of trials in our life. Last one, and we'll bring the, this to conclusion. Uh, we are prone to discouragement when we place our hope, our trust, or our faith in anything or anyone other than God. We are prone to discouragement when we put our hope, our faith, our trust in anything or anyone other than God. God is the only one who will never let us down. He is the only one who will never disappoint us. He is the only one who will never leave us and never forsake us. And so all through Scripture, we have these uh, warnings about where not to put your trust. Psalm 20, verse 7, don't put your trust in military strength. Don't put your trust in, in the size of your nation's army. Psalm 49, don't put your trust in money because money can't redeem you. Don't put your hope and trust in your marriage partner. They can be a good companion, but they will not be God to you. You need to put your trust in God and God alone. And so uh, the, the psalmist in Psalm 42 and 43 over and over and over again says, put your hope and trust in God and God alone. Well, God's word uh, to Joshua and the nation of Israel as they were uh, facing um, the greatest challenge of their lives, crossing the Jordan and going into military mode and, and conquering Canaan and facing these 30 cities that were walled cities. Um, God comes to Joshua and he says, I want you to be strong and I want you to be courageous. And I want you to obey God's word. I want you to be afraid. I don't want you to be discouraged. And God's word 3,400 years later comes to us and says the same thing. I want you to think about right now, just as we, we hopefully make this very, very practical, but take a moment and think about what is the greatest challenge I'm facing today? What, what is the greatest um, obstacle or challenge in my life right now? And if you can't think of one, you are very, very blessed. Thank God for that. But most of us have challenges. Most of us have obstacles and difficulties and challenges in our life that sometimes keep us awake at night. And as we think about that, that challenge, I just want you to, to hear again the, the words of God to Joshua, but specifically to you this morning. So I'm going to close with reading this again. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you will be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, 
so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be, what, prosperous and successful. Have not I commanded you, be strong, be courageous, do not be discouraged. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Our spiritual strength and fortitude doesn't rest in our emotions. But that rest, uh, that spiritual strength rests not in our feelings, but on God, who He is, and in God's Word. And He is faithful, and we can trust Him. Let's, uh, let's pray together, shall we? Father, we are um, grateful for uh, this book of Joshua this ancient book that was written 3,400 years ago that speaks directly to us today. And Lord, I pray for each, each one that is here this morning. Lord, I know many of us, most of us, probably all of us are facing challenges, difficulties, worries in our life. Some of us are literally facing the giants. And Lord, I pray that as we um, look to you as the source of our strength, that you would help us to be strong and courageous in our Christian life. Lord, that you would be very clear to reveal us steps of obedience that we need to take. Lord, help us not to live in fear, but to live by faith. Help us to keep our eyes focused on you and your promises. And Lord, help us not to be discouraged, but Lord, help us to be encouraged in you and in your word. Lord, help us to uh, encourage one another as we walk with you. And Lord, thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that you are faithful and we'll give you all the praise in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.